You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is actually not Christina Pratt, but as a continuation of our last week's episode on racism, the double wounding, and shamanism, this is your co-host, Langston Khan, and I'm going to be doing a brief invocation now. Let's just take a moment. We call in spirits of the East and air to be here now and walk with us on this call. Please help us this day to say the truth in a way that it can be heard and help us visionary to connect with the vision of our lives and the vision of our country at this time and the vision of humanity in a way that serves us. Help us enchantress to luxuriate in our true nature as we speak on this call today and help us come back to the true nature of things as we cut through the lies and falsities that have caused so much separation. We thank you and honor you be here now. We call upon you, spirits of the West and water this day. We ask that you help us um, to flow this day. We ask that you help us to keep an open heart. We ask that you help us, warrior, to cultivate that capacity to stand in discomfort and share how to do that in a good way with others. And we ask you, crazy woman, to help us cut through the lies and the, the falsities that keep us in smallness and away from our authenticity. Please help us to be here now. We honor you. We call on you, spirits of the south and fire. Help us, healer, to cultivate that capacity to stand in which that causes us to burn in love. Help us, death, to clear those old patterns that keep us cycling around and addiction around that which causes us to truly burn in love this day. We honor you. Be here now. And we call on you, spirits of the north and earth. Lend us your power, teacher, to tell new stories. Help us to discern what are those old stories that are harming us so much and limiting us so much, particularly around racism. And help us, trickster, to be clever in this work and finding ways to dismantle that story from inside of it. Help us to cultivate the capacity to be suspicious of where we are fixed or righteous or positional or certain and always be willing to discern that which we must sacrifice to create new possibilities. We honor you and we call you in this day. Be here now. And we honor you, Spirit, to be above. Help us this day to stay connected to that energy of protection, that energy of blessing. And we honor you, Spirit, to the below. We draw you up and ask you to help us to replenish that what must be replenished and stay grounded in a sense of belonging and home as we speak this day. We call upon you, ancestor helping spirits, and ask for your support in making sure that what needs to be said, be said, and what needs to be heard, be heard. So, hi, Langston. We're back. Yeah. (laughs) Round two. So, go ahead. So, for um, last week, um, 
we 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 got as far as exploring the diagnosis in a sense the healer piece the things the healer wanted us to say about understanding the wound of racism um, not so much debating racism itself but more really trying to understand from a shamanic perspective the wound itself and um we talked about just kind of recapping we talked about how it really comes out of the the lie of separation and it not only continues to create more stories that separate but in this particular story there's the illusion that a certain group of people the star-bellied snitches you know have greater rank privilege and power and while that is um faults in any real sense it's been made true by all the energy that has gone into this story and embedded it as a systemic way of understanding life particularly here in America and so it becomes a real experience um, that really wounds and potentially even um, wounds at a level of soul loss and um, a, a kind of deep broken heartedness um, so I don't know. Uh, the next thing I guess I would say is we were just beginning to talk about how um, there's there's how racism affects people of color, but then there's also how racism affects um, people who have rank, privilege, and power. And part of the frustration in this dynamic, and I personally believe why it stays stagnant, what my helping spirits keep showing me, it's because um, – Rank, privilege, and power is a place where people don't necessarily pick up their power. That because it's a power granted to us via a system, not everybody in that system recognizes that they've been granted that power. So they don't necessarily pick it up and use it to change things. And that that's extremely frustrating for those who in that system aren't given rank, privilege, and power. It's ex um, for – and yet – um, people are human. They're not stories. People are human and people are in process. And so consequently, people in the story don't behave as the characters in the story because people are people and people are in process and people are not the stereotypes that the story makes them out to be. So it's, um, it's requiring of us engagement with the heart and, and, and the body, not just the mind, to be able to engage in what's actually going on here in a way that might be able to affect change. Um, I don't know, Langston, any, anything else about last week that you would add in here? Um, I think that's, that's pretty complete. It's just that we also started sharing some of the messages that we've been receiving from our helping spirits as we've been sort of diving into this very hairy and complex issue around that that double wounding and the, this sense of the um the ways that both oppressor and oppressed for lack of a better word are are wounded by racism in perhaps different ways but in this in this sort of for people of color this double wounding way that creates this lack of reflection outside of themselves that they can so th that causes this this deep sort of internal damage yeah yeah and i think um we would be remiss in not acknowledging how the intersection of racism with sexism or systemic poverty 
or um, other forms of repressed self-expression, how these um, these intersect and can compound, um, and in many ways discussing uh, this through rank, privilege, and power brings a different kind of clarity, which I value, and yet I still want to understand why black children are being killed and the killers are not being held accountable. And I still want to understand um, why we can live with black law abiding citizens being shot and the shooters not being held accountable, that this, this illness remains a shared illness of this culture. And, um, you know, so, so the, the call here is how, how could we maybe bring shamanism in to help us actually become the medicine for this um and i think uh, another thing we talked about last week also was that part of becoming that medicine and and using and the first place to bring that shamanism is perhaps also to bear on ourselves and our own internalized racism that we all um carry within us to varying degrees just by virtue of being um contemporary people yeah yeah um and I, uh, I, I wanted to share one of the um, quotes that you shared with me, Langston, as we were talking about this from Brittany Cooper, a professor of women's and gender studies and Africana studies at Rutgers. And um, she's talked – the context for this quote is talking about white fe- feminism versus intersectional feminism and, because I think it applies um, to what we're trying to talk about <laughs> in these shows is that – One kind of feminism focuses on the policies that will help women integrate fully into the existing American system. So it's equality versus the other that recognizes the fundamental flaws in the system and seeks its complete and total transformation, which speaks more to equity. And I think for me at least, I can't speak for you Langston, but for me at least – this is where I am relative to racism is I want – I believe the system is fundamentally flawed and that I seek this complete and total transformation. I, I don't think a solution is trying to get everybody just to live happily ever after with it because <laughs> it's not yeah, possible. I, mean, I, think, I think that's some of what the unique genius that shamanism brings to any of these conversations we're having right now culturally in that shamanism acknowledges that two systems – or you can't simply integrate into a system without what is being integrated in that system and the system itself changing. And if that isn't involving a process of complete and total transformation, then it's simply compromise, which means both peoples are losing out and not getting certain things they want. And I think perhaps Donald Trump um, is a great example of, or a great representation of the kind of virulent poison that can grow when people try to make those kinds of compromises and keep keeping the system as it is while trying to sort of give lip service to addressing these deeper issues. Um, Maybe you'd have more to say about that, Christina. Well, I, I, my, my personal experience about what's going on right now in our country is this um, – I was going to kind of talk about this a little bit more later also. But just how um, what's really been exposed 
Well, anyway, I'll go back to my grandfather who said a mind changed against its will is of the same opinion still. So, so with this, this, this effort of political correctness in the 80s, you know, and we go back to, to Reagan and this, this movement towards this sort of politically correct way of behaving, which didn't engage anybody in any deeper conversation. It just said these are the, these are the new rules to play by, which didn't change anything. They just, they just prescribed how you were supposed to behave. And so, so the gig is up. I mean, that, that false um, uh, cover on the actual issues we needed to have started engaging in back then. Um, I feel like, like Trump's really blown the cover off that by giving people absolute permission to ignore being politically correct completely, to be the true full-on hate monger that you are and just absolutely say it like it is without worrying about um, how racist or sexist or classist or ignorant the statement is and that it's completely right, you know, this idea that you're American and you can just just be whoever you want to be no matter how um, toxic that is. Mm-hmm. And But the point is Trump didn't create it. He's a creation of the system and all he did was expose what was already there and give people permission to be their worst possible human. And I feel like um, what shamanism does is exactly the opposite, that the helping spirits are constantly coming to us and saying, no, you are here to be your best possible human. And by the way, that thing you just did isn't good enough. You know, that you need, and, and so anybody who's practicing shamanism and always gets happy, good answers from your helping spirits is not asking the right questions because, I mean, the real power of shamanism is getting those answers you do not want, getting those answers that are really hard to hear when you realize, wow, my helping spirits just pointed out my own internalized racism. And now that it's been pointed out, now I need to deal with it. You know, to, to me, that's the... The power of shamanism is to engage in learning the things about myself I would rather not know. And then, and this is the thing we haven't quite said directly, and then giving me the skills to transform it. Giving me the skills, not just the information, but then the skills to use it to become a better human. Yeah. Um, so... As we, as we, so we, so with with shamanism in general, you know, we sort of diagnose, and then from the diagnosis, we get a remedy. So we've been looking at the the wounding itself, and um, so the, then the warrior energy is about now beginning to move a relative to the understanding. And so the way I see it is that we've been talking about a system of which we are all part. We're different parts. We all play roles in this system to the extent that we've taken on this story. And we can all educate ourselves relative to those roles. We didn't realize we were in a role, but now we do. So now we can educate ourselves to those roles and bust the system. And so for me, as I just said, the point is always about trying to be a better human and sometimes failing miserably at it and needing to apologize and needing to learn and often I have to go to spirit to figure out, you know, I thought I was doing this, but it came out this way. You know, what, it, what, what needs to happen here? You know, how do I learn from this so I can do it better next time? 
and then this and so so in this system you know, this system is fun our, our current social system is fundamentally dehumanizing for any human so then that means if i'm going to be a good human i need to change that system so the first way to do that is to step out of it yourself and and as as you just said langston to begin to look at the work i need to do myself to look at my own internalized racism and unconscious racism and then to begin to really question it openly and and also to begin to bust the collusion because inherent in this story and its power is how we are colluding with it so in other words a person of privilege colludes with it even though they don't feel comfortable with it they collude with it because it supports their privilege like why why would you want to give that up right so that's the problem is 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 we need to start to bust the collusion and recognize that some people are going to lose things they perceive that they have. And I would question whether or not you actually really have it, given that the, given the amount of resources the 1% currently owns. I think it's all perception. But anyway, the point is, to speaking openly about the collusive piece of what's going on and what's happening and to refuse to perpetrate the lie of separation. And that, that to me, is a big piece of the, um, what shamanism has deeply offered me is how to understand how to not perpetrate that lie of separation in the way that I live my life. Um, uh, so... I, all that said, I think this asks people to learn to discern. And um, that's a beautiful piece, I think, in Coates' book. Um, mm-hmm. Between the World and Me is how, how in kind of the middle of the book, he really talks about his effort to learn, to discern, to, to, to recognize that how he saw things as a child, though absolutely real and made real by the necessity of his own survival day to day, as he moves into a different environment, he realizes how much there is to learn. And then through that learning, how it changes his discernment around things. Um, and this is required on in all roles of this of the story. We all need to learn to discern differently because this story has distorted all of our perception just differently. Like as you said before, it, it affects all of us, but it affects us differently. And we need to understand that. And there's um, great warriorship required, spiritual warriorship required in actually learning to discern and seeing the world in some way different than your childhood, whatever it is has trained you to see it and there are hours and hours easily a hundred hours of why shamanism now about that (laughs) so i don't know do you have some favorite points around that you might want to share langston about learning to discern um i think Really, even though even though this is very much in our cosmology uh, an arena of warriorship discernment, I think in this particular aspect of discernment around racism and internalized racism, I think that the teacher in our tradition that is perhaps most helpful in this kind of discernment is trickster, mm-hmm. because 
first of all, because there's so much about issues around power uh, and privilege, mm-hmm. around power and privilege, but also because Trickster has a way of helping to to teach us where and show us where we are being righteous and fixed and positional and where we are just sure, very certain of our position. And and as a a phrase I know you are fond of saying from one of your Taoist teachers, Christina, where we are most certain is where we are most blind. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think that trickster has an ability to help us to see through that blindness, to cultivate the the warriorship the warrior's ability to stand in that discomfort so then we can engage the power of trickster in that discomfort to look at all the different positions and 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 points we're holding and imagine what are other possible explanations for this behavior what are other perspectives i might be holding in this moment so i think that just can be very useful to literally like write out all of those unspoken assumptions that we make when we see someone who looks different than us or or when we feel anger or discomfort or fear um, with no real information about that person other than how they look. Because the the right privilege and power that is either given or taken via the story, again, because the story in and of itself isn't grounded in real energies, um, although it has a real effect, um, isn't real personal power. It's not power of that we gain of through merit, through character, through accessing our heart, and and this is a I think a piece that trickster can help us see is to not be tricked by the easy, the easy grab. Um, and I'm speaking now primarily for people of privilege relative to this is not be tricked into believing that your privilege is actual power. Mm-hmm. It's power in the consensus reality system, but it can be just as easily taken away from you. Um, if you choose not to play the game. And um, so I think there's a piece particularly aligned with the also the wisdom that you receive from the earth, Langston, which we talked about last week about how do we develop in ourself personally trust in, in something greater than ourselves, this sort of greater all that is um, enough trust in that to begin to be honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because that that willing to be honest with ourselves is a important piece, as you said, in the warrior standing in the discomfort and learning to discern and and, and just to to put it in a thimble, given that there's hundreds of hours of shows about this, is learning to discern. The big issue is. Um, when I'm still looking at it through my childhood experience, I see reality in a particular way um, that is being shaped by that wounding. And so a- as I reconcile that wounding within myself, I will see reality differently. So reality hasn't changed. I have. Mm-hmm. And then if you add to that, there's the childhood wounding, but you then you add to that that perpetual wounding of racism. There's this piece in there um, about rehumanizing what has been dehumanized and then the other side of that in in someone when, when people of privilege is recognizing your power is an illusion learn to t- tap into true power that you can actually use to affect the world and just don't just shop <laughs> so, anyway. and I think a, a lot of 
I think what what feels most helpful to me in all of this conversation for for both uh, white presenting people and people of color is this cultivation of the ability to be vulnerable and intimate in moments of fear or doubt or discomfort. Um, and I think perhaps the onus to learn this is is perhaps more so on people in a position of privilege because uh, people who aren't in that position of privilege do often face a very real threat of death or violence mm-hmm. if they are if they stand in that vulnerability occasionally. And I, and I kind of think it personally that I still have to challenge myself to find ways to come back to that place of vulnerability again and again, regardless. But um, I think perhaps the, the onus is on people in a position of privilege to cultivate the ability to stand with their discomfort in that warriorship, to be able to have uncomfortable feelings come up and give voice to that discomfort and not exit the conversation or get very emotional and then hijack the conversation to be about their own emotions. Um, but a, a ability to be in presence with their emotions, which I think mm-hmm. actually the, the, the way I found most useful to do that is through a, a clearing practice, whether it be mm-hmm. something like focusing or, or your clearing practice. Um, uh, I think that it's very important to have a practice that allows you to cultivate that ability to stay in presence with and not completely identify with or exile um, your emotions when they arise, but be able to notice them as a witness and, and, and almost put your arm around them like a friend. And in that moment, I think when we're able to that in our interior landscape, we can then do that in moments of discomfort with other people much easier. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as we as we go forward and think about, okay, so if we're all beginning to look and stand in our discomfort and change, you know, we also have to think about um, what are we creating? Not too far yet, but I think there's a piece of be careful what you ask for in in going forward again because what we think we want from the from the wounded place may be different from what we actually want from the more healed um and often more mature place um and so in other words starting to 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 be able to talk about so what what would our system here of life feel like without racism what would that actually look like and feel like so i think a good a, a sort of a cautionary tale around this is the um, uh what you shared with me about i can't remember whether the friend was dutch or the but anyway the person that came from somewhere else and the watermelon story yeah yeah well yeah i, I just uh, you know i'm forgetting now actually myself which friends these were but i had I, there were some friends that um so, some friend asked them something about them liking watermelon or something and who was who was from another country and my and these two the two friends they were asking were people of color and they were just like appalled they didn't know what was going on they they felt something was and then the real as they spoke about it with their friend the the friend from another country they realized that they had no understanding of the stereotype the racist stereotype in america that like black people have an unusual love of watermelon (laughs) Um, and, you know, so it's just interesting to see the, the depth of craziness really that can Mm -hmm. arise out of the, this collusion and these, these stories around racism and how vastly different 
they can look from people who aren't swimming in that same energy of collusion. Yeah, because I feel like sometimes the 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 sort of the default belief that the absence of racism would be people of privilege automatically understanding all of those stories. Whereas here is this totally innocent person coming from somewhere else going, What watermelon's wonderful, what's the problem? You know? Yeah. Just like um and and I'm not sure because so for example, I actually, as a woman, don't expect a man to understand my experience. That's not what I'm looking for in a man to not be sexist. And I actually am profoundly irritated by men, um, usually, um, you know, gay men that say they understand my experience as a woman. It's like, no, you don't. You understand your experience as a gay man. You don't understand my experience as a woman. And, you know, that, I mean, do we really want someone to truly understand our experience or, do we want someone who is willing to listen generously when we share our experience? And, you know, you know, what are we really looking for? You know, what does it really look like if we step out of this story to be in a healthy relationship with each other and our life experience? Um, you know, what I, what I want, for example, in, um, uh, a man relative to sexism is someone who can actually see the injustice and doesn't argue with me that sexism doesn't exist, um, who has educated himself perhaps and, 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 and actually works to see the injustice, who you know, uses his privilege in whatever his sphere of influence is to create change around how men and women are perceived and um, – uh, you, you know, so so I think we we it'd be not it'd be wonderful to get to a place where we could talk about what would a world without racism actually be like to experience, because I think um, we we it's not possible to know what other human beings experience. I mean, that's what clearing work with others has taught me is. As a human, I can sit with them and hold space for them and be really curious and interested in their experience, but I really have absolutely no idea where that's going. Like it's their experience and um, I, and the more I clear with people, the more I recognize that uniqueness in how people process their life experience and how it shapes them and I can't I can't be expected to understand the details of it. I can be empathetic with the um, patterns, I guess I would say. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. I think it goes back somewhat to some of the show you did about the highly competent wounded child. It's like it's like this this tension between the 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 desire to control the entire world around you versus becoming a person who can move through that world without being wounded. But it's, it's a, it's hard. I think specifically Harry, when it comes to the conversation of racism, because there are, as we've already discussed, you know, real physical ways that people of color and women for that matter are threatened and harmed, um, Mm -hmm. and, and killed. Um, but, simultaneously that that also so again but that that it's that i think again that's where a way shamanism allows us to not simply be dreaming into the future based on what we understand of our present time 
but stretching past that a little bit with the help of our helping spirits into what could be if we were the people who no longer had the wounds that we currently are experiencing and what what then we might dream into. And so, as Langston has pointed out, after the highly skilled wounded child show, our next show was about resiliency. And I think Mm -hmm. that what a lot of this bottom lines at from a warrior's perspective is how we all need to cultivate resiliency. Um, You know, I, as a nice white lady, cannot become hysterically emotional when I realized that as unintended and and well-meaning as I was, I was just profoundly racist. I can't fall into hysterics and feel so bad about that that I now emotionally hijack the conversation. I need emotional resiliency to go, wow, I really suck <laughs> in this moment and I don't like myself now that I see myself differently and I need to still – listen generously because this isn't about me and I may need to hold my upset and maybe my upset doesn't even have a place in the conversation in, in you know my upset maybe needs to be resolved in some other way at some other time I you know I don't know but it's the important thing is that resiliency a kind of emotional and personal resiliency has to be developed I think all around for us to have the possibility of going forward together in a new way because we will mess up badly and we we have to be able to recover from it. Um, I don't know. (laughs) That's that's my perspective about resiliency. Um, What do you think, Langston? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely accurate. But I think also it's important to realize that sometimes for – um, people of color, it's necessary to cultivating that resiliency need, requires being in a space of um, community with others who share your same experience as well. Yes. Um, yeah. I think we can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that that is like a further separation in some way, but but it's often that like that kind of connection is needed to create the container that allows that healing to happen that allows people to have that have that resiliency and draw on that resiliency when they are with people who are different than them and i also want to acknowledge that i think when people are um living in a story where they are defined by the story as the oppressed and they experience this daily that 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 very um daily life experience cultivates resiliency among other things i i feel like when people are you know quote unquote the oppressed that that very situation cultivates a, a quality of resiliency. It does a, it wounds as well, but it can also really cultivate resiliency. And so, I think some people have a great deal of resiliency in this, um, and 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 maybe even a, a valid impatience for people in the other parts of the story that kind of don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, but I feel like gaining some skills to cultivate resiliency sort of no matter where you are in the story is one of the strengths of the cycle teachings 
that it is not all about just wrapping everything in love and light, but recognizing there's some things in life that to transform need um, to be held in a different way. And how, how do we, um, you know, the cycle teachings themselves are really adjusted for contemporary people and um, what we need to lean into. And with that said, I also want to acknowledge that asking someone who's already wounded by racism to lean into discomfort is a very different request than asking me, um, who, you know, is a nice, you know, white life in a middle-class family back when we actually had a middle class. You know, it's a different request. And to really honor the fact that while this is, the, you know, a solution – or a transformation is going to probably require everybody lean into discomfort. It's a different request and we need to really be consciously vigilant, uh, constantly vigilant to that, to that fact. Um, but there are some assumptions that humans tend to make about addressing discomfort in their lives that I think we, we all need to be very aware of no matter where we are in the story, because these are human things that we do. One, which is um, feeling that um, because I feel this way, everyone else like me in this situation would feel the same way. So in other words, just because I experience this as um, damaging, it means everybody else like me would also experience it as damaging. And that's not true. That people experience things very differently, even with similar backgrounds. Um, because what that assumption doesn't take into account is the internal work people have done. You know, they, because you can't necessarily see somebody's internal work in their outer expression. Um, so another assumption is that if you don't feel the way I feel about this, then you haven't been hurt as much as I have. Versus recognizing maybe this person isn't hurt as much as you are in this situation because they've done years of work to cultivate a kind of resiliency to cultivate a different perspective you know that that they've educated themselves i mean that that there's a whole lot of reasons someone maybe doesn't perceive of this situation someone like you doesn't perceive of the situation the way you do that's got nothing to do with the fact that they're not as badly wounded as you are but that is a default assumption people across the board tend to go to if everybody doesn't see it their way and the next assumption people make is – and we talked about this last week a little bit – about assuming that everything is personal, whereas a, a hard part of shamanic systems is recognizing that life is conspiring to teach you. It's not personal. It's actually not about you. That's a really hard piece, especially if we're in a highly skilled wounded child dynamic with life it's really hard to get it's not personal and i think the final thing that is a, is real typical with contemporary people is um i'm clearing because i'm in discomfort versus i'm clearing because life has shown me that there is a part of myself i am not in relationship with and i want to be whole and it's a very sort of different approach to one's spiritual life or, you know, in other words, part of my criticism of what I would consider more new age spirituality is that it's all about I'm doing this so that I can feel good, so that I can be happy versus I'm engaging in this, this, this discipline of this spiritual practice so I can be a better human, which means some of the times I'm not going to feel good. 
and I'm not going to be happy. But I'm doing what is necessary to be a better human. And it's a very, very different engagement. So I think those four things are some assumptions we all need to be careful of doing. Have any sense relative to that, Langston? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know that I would add to that, but I just think something when you talk about the the importance of that distinction um, in our clearing process of recognizing that you're not just clearing because you're in discomfort or pain, but you're clearing because you want to come into relationship with a part of yourself that you have lost or that is stuck in an old pattern or an old story. Um, I think it'd be very frustrating when um, people of color or just, you know, really just talk about myself, you know, when I'm faced with a situation where someone has caused me or, you know, I, someone has made a racist statement or, and, and triggered me in some way due to that. Um, I think when we stay in that sense of I am clearing because I want to come into conversation with a part of me that has been lost or is stuck or distorted, um, it's helpful because um, it reminds us that it's not because of this person that you have to clear today. It's like you really can come to that place where whatever that person did does feel like a gift because it brought you back into conversation with this part of yourself that was lost that you didn't realize was there. Um, but also I think it helps you to start to cultivate that discernment between when something is just making you angry and when something is actually triggering you and helping you to come and notice a part of yourself that has been lost. And there is a difference. I think there's a danger mm-hmm. in, um, I think I see a lot of frustration with, with this in, um, you know, certain subject sections of the, of the of black community um, calls constantly for forgiveness around um, violent crimes that have been perpetrated on black people with this idea, you know, sort of religious idea that forgiveness is important because it allows us to move on, which is a true sort of, in some sense, shamanic principle. But there's also a sense in which that can become distorted when that forgiveness doesn't have this component of discerning has this helped me to come into conversation with a deeper part of myself or is this just further violence that I simply need to take some sort of warriorship or action to make myself no longer vulnerable to restore and repair my boundaries individually or collectively around. Right. And so there's a circle there um, that that's often we the only like half of it gets done. So experience happens and um, and I'm angry. So is this righteous anger or is this me being triggered? And so I can go into the clearing process for the part of me that is triggered, clear that, learn something. It's a gift. And then come around the other side of that circle, maybe even there's a place for forgiveness there. But the point is the thing that involves the what I would call the righteous anger. So the fact that racism still exists in the world, you know, it's it's not okay to just say, you know, racism is a gift. Not that not that you said that, Langston, but that's not the point. The point is racism is a fundamental system, fundamentally flawed system that needs to change. But I'm not gonna be effective changing it if I'm reacting to it. So, mm-hmm. so I do my clearing, so I take my reaction out and become a person who can now respond 
to this fundamentally flawed system in the world to begin to participate in a way that allows me to start to change the actual system. Um, but if we, if we ignore the clearing step, there's no separation between the, the legitimate anger at something that is unjust, which is a right response to something that's unjust, and the, and the, and the personal triggering piece. And as long as I'm triggered and charged and acting out, I am ineffective in my efforts and often unconsciously perpetrate the very thing I'm trying to change. So I become a bully and an oppressor when – when I'm really trying to change an overarching system that's bullying and oppressing. So, so that personal clearing piece and not bypassing it is critically important. But the second half of that circle is equally important, which as a person who is becoming more resilient, more mature, more self-aware, to bring those gifts of that humanity to bear on that which is inhumane and, and, um, engage in my you know through my sphere of influence in how to change things and and this is one thing i always forget to say on shows but i actually believe our well-being in the face of huge systems that are bigger than we are like racism in america is bigger than any one of us as individuals is when our heart knows we are actually doing all that we can to change this within ourselves and to and to affect things in our sphere of influence, whatever it is, that we are doing a part, the heart itself grows healthy. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily mean happy, but healthy and strong. And and so we're able to maintain hope and to give hope and to inspire and and to be in the world as a good human. And, and but when we when we get crushed by the bigness of the system and think I personally can't do anything to change that gigantic problem, then we get hopeless and become very dysfunctional. And and I think back to this whole circle of clearing, become a person who can respond, and then actually responding in some way strengthens our heart because we're at, we are taking action and our heart is gaining trust in our capacity to function as a as a just and fair person in a world that isn't just and fair. Yeah, and I think in all of that, I think it's also important to understand that the goal of emotional clearing is not emotional flatline. I think right. sometimes that people get confused about that. Like they imagine this like, you know, sort of fake stereotypical zend out Buddhist character that they'll become once they've cleared all their triggers. But it's that idea, and you talk about this in Energy Velcro and the Hollow Bone, it's that idea of becoming the person who can respond to the moment, allowing those archetypal teachers to move through us in the moment and respond effectively and and in alignment and integrity and coherence with our authenticity and our true nature. And that doesn't always look like you know love and light. Sometimes that looks like <laughs> expressing fierce anger in that moment to restore and repair your boundaries or the boundaries of others. And I think for me in my personal process and journey around racism and clearing around racism, that's been a big wake up to me to see how it's allowed me to respond with anger effectively in a way that can be heard. Whereas when I'm responding, as sort of going back to that earth example, when I'm responding from anger in a way that's just about my small 
hurts that I'm not even necessarily conscious of and that I haven't really cleared, um, it generally generates the opposite of what I'm trying to generate in that moment. Um, and again, that's, I think, just a, a unique aspect of shamanism that we can notice that and then go ask, why is this happening? So like in my case, I went to the earth and asked, like, how can I express my anger in a way that does not rely on dehumanizing the person I'm expressing anger to? So we're at that place where we we are asking, you know, everybody to lean into their discomfort, but with the recognition that that ask is different depending on where you are in the story. But part of it is because that's what shamanism does, at least our understanding of it, is it asks people to lean into their discomfort all the time. Um, and But again, that the point of it is um, because... So, it, so, so if we ask people already in discomfort to lean into their discomfort for the love of their own humanity and to refuse to allow circumstances to rob you of your humanity. Um, but what's difficult about shamanism and, is that it isn't asking you to do so so that you will fit better into the flawed system or that you will blanket your inaction with um, – you know, forgiveness or handing your task over to God to do um, that, that shamanism is, is really asking us to, to be with our experiences in a way that allow us to become more effective in the world um, and to, and to circle back and to set new boundaries um, with a friend or a lover or to organize um, for change on a larger scale um, and at the same time, um, I just want to acknowledge what that ask is for people that are already living daily in discomfort. Um, but I think for me, this ties into that quote you brought forward, Langston, um, from Claudia Rankin and, mm -hmm. and her book, Citizen, um, just talking about how these microaggressions, when swallowed and not responded to, by I'm reading hers now, by African Americans result in high rates of stress-related diseases, heartburn, indigestion, um, and just the hopelessness of feeling ineffective and dehumanized all the time. That was my little two cents. Anyway, back to Claudia. She says that she describes how she gets to a place where she no longer holds her tongue for her own health, but to do so is also to be seen as being too intense, angry, and often to risk violence and the loss of friends. And, you know, so this, this is the playing field that we are in and that it's real and that there are real losses along the way as we refuse to alter our authentic expression of ourselves to fit into a flawed system. Um, it, it's, it, it can feel dangerous, although, yes, I'm just, it can feel dangerous, period. Um, and I have experienced around my own safety as a woman in the world and around shamanism and um, that as I've changed my relationship with those things, the world's experience, uh, response to me has literally changed. Um, and so – so as a as a young single woman, poor single woman in New York, I um, 
was really threatened often, especially walking alone by catcalls and um, construction workers. And I worked really hard at I'd be I'd be scared or shaky because they felt really invasive and potentially violent. And I would go home and I would do my clearing and I worked and I worked and I worked relative to this. And sexism is a much bigger problem in our culture than me that I could fix. But I finally came to this place through the help of my helping spirits and some soul retrieval work where I could um, – one day I was just feeling really great about being a woman and it meant coming out. It meant no longer dressing to hide myself but now dressing as a woman. And so it was all very counterintuitive to what you would think you should do to feel safe. And it was very scary but as it came together – obviously this was guided by crazy woman. But anyway, as the whole thing came together um, – there was one day I was walking past this construction site I would always avoid because the men that worked there were just really on the verge of, you know, molestation basically in their engagement as you walked past. And, and I was just feeling great and then I was kind of like, shit, I just turned the wrong corner. I'm walking past that site again and I just think, well, that's fine. I'm walking past the site today and I walk past – and this guy says something or other and 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 out of my mouth become, comes this simple phrase, what is wrong with the size of your dick that you need to be disrespecting me in that way? And the men froze and they all turned to stare at the guy who had said it as if they were all wondering, what is wrong with the size of your dick? <laughs> just the most amazing thing to experience like all of a sudden all this scary icky attention that was directed at me turned to this man and I walk and I just walked past and the next time I walked past these people and I am not saying they recognized who I who I am who I was but the next day when I walked past I started getting compliments I mean polite compliments and it just it just changed and it was me that changed. It was not these people. And so it, it's dangerous out there and it's even more dangerous for black-skinned people in America right now. Absolutely dangerous. And there has to be a way that we can do this together, that we can um, become the people that can change this. Um, it's, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's dangerous and yet it, there has to be truth telling. There has to be right timing and as you said, but what if it's always the wrong time? I, I, you know, this, this somehow to me tosses the ball across the story to people of privilege. That somehow people who feel safe have to create the space and time. I think I, I don't know how else it's going to happen. Absolutely, and the, and I guess what as you're saying that I'm realizing, you know, something we notice in transformational processes is that sometimes someone can reach a place where they feel extremely comfortable, and then one thing can enter into that story of being comfortable that sends them into deep discomfort and and uh, fear. And so it's easy to project onto that something that has sent you hurtling into discomfort and fear that they are the thing that's ruining your perfect life. Um, 
but we can also use shamanism, I think, uniquely to notice, okay, so if this is coming in, then obviously there's some greater actual experience of life outside of this bubble of comfort that I'm created for myself. And I think that's what we see often in like these experiences of privilege and racism, that people are aware of the fragility of the bubble that they're inhabiting. And so they get very angry when people threaten that bubble. But we can use when, when we come to the place where we're ready to engage in the personal work to to look at our internalized racism. We can actually use our shamanic tools to u- uniquely to look past that bubble and see outside of what we're currently able to see, and and choose to enter into that vaster scope of life where we can then also engage with a vaster part of our purpose and our authenticity that we couldn't maybe access before. And I think, you know, and I think that that's a big, you know, an even bigger piece when you're asking, of course, the people who perceive that they have privilege and some sort of power in that to look at that, right? And and yet, I think that 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 when we ask people of privilege to lean into their discomfort, that's exactly what they have to lean into is that perfect bubble, right? Mm-hmm. And. Um, and I because if it was true, why so much fear? Like if you really, if the truth of your power, it, it, of this bubble and your comfort is, is not false, then then why does this person that you're perceiving as different than you cause so much fear in you, or or disdain, or judgment, or anger? Yeah, you know, and that's why I ran those four shows before we did this about about all these all these powers that we all have to cultivate that have nothing to do with this story you know they have everything to do with the fact that you're a human being walking and breathing and you know and so so how do we all cultivate true power not lay into the power offered or not through the story but actually cultivate power you own yourself no matter the story no matter the circumstances you're in this is yours and it goes with you I mean, to me, that's also the foundation of resiliency. Um, But I also think that we've talked several times here on the show, and I want to make a point as we start to wrap up here about that, that, that part of leaning into the discomfort for a person of privilege is cultivating true power and, and really investigating your false power. And one of the powers that you have to offer is generous, honest listening. And creating space, creating time for people who don't feel safe to share their story, to share it. You don't have to comment. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be present. And and I, and I just want to tie into Steve Baer's really wonderful new book called Talking Stick. Uh, the title's about peacemaking, but don't be shy because of that. It, it is talking about the skills of learning to actually listen actively engaged in listening um, and hearing what others are saying not preparing to rebut them right but actually listening and I think another piece that and when we ask people of privilege to lean into the, their, their discomfort is cultivating true curiosity uh, in learning and learning about yourself um, and, uh, and, and, and actually coming to a place, and this for me again is what's really been pushed into my life through shamanism, is recognizing 
that stance in life of always learning, of recognizing how little I know. I've dedicated my entire adult life to this thing and I still hardly know anything. Right? And so just just that dedication to learning and not expecting to have the answers, not expecting to know, but, but hoping in the day to learn. Um, and I just want to be honest that we are asking people um, who, who perceive they have the freedom to sleep to wake up. Um, but for me, shamanism has made me actually question whether or not I actually have the freedom to sleep. And at this stage, at 55, after 30 years of shamanic practice, I actually no longer believe that I, as a white woman, have the, have the privilege that allows me the freedom to stay asleep about this. That I think the ancestors have made that clear. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know. Hey, Langston, do you think it's unfair to ask people to lean into their discomfort? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. I think it's. I think again, it is hard to to ask that of people who are already in extreme discomfort. But I think even for them, un- ultimately, the way out of some of that discomfort—not all of it, but some measure of that discomfort—does come through this leaning in. Um, and absolutely, for people that are in a position of of privilege, um, you know, it's not just about that, oh, you know, this thing called racism is bad, so we need to do our work to dissolve it. But it's that when you are withholding, when you're holding this other person in your life as different and as less than or as fundamentally just um, someone you can't engage with or that's invisible to you, then there are parts of yourself inherently, if we're, if we're taking the perspective uh, of shamanism at face value, there, there is a part of yourself you are holding out of your love. And you will never know that part of you until you engage um, with this. So I, I think that's that's the, the honestly the greatest deduction that I can offer that that if you're not willing to engage in these types of conversation, there's a whole swath of yourself, of your potential, of of what you can be doing as a human being that you're cut off from and that you will stay cut off from until you are willing to engage in that conversation. Yeah. So there's a lot to think about here today, especially if we put yet last week and, and this show together. But let me close with this quote about vulnerability, since that's another piece of what we're asking people to be able to get to a place where they can, can, can move into true vulnerability on both sides, all parts of the story. Um, and this is from Daring Greatly by Breen Brown. And the quote is that vulnerability is based on mutuality and requires boundaries and trust. You know, so we have some work to be able to get there, I think. Anyway, the quote continues. It's not oversharing. It's not purging. It's not indiscriminate disclosure. Vulnerability is about sharing our feelings and experience with people who have earned the right to hear them. Being open and vulnerable is mutual and an integral part of trust-building process. We don't bear our souls the first time we meet someone. That may be desperation or attention-seeking or woundedness, but it's not vulnerability. Because sharing appropriately with boundaries means sharing with people with whom we've developed relationships that can bear the weight of our stories. The result of this mutually respectful vulnerability is increased connection, trust and engagement vulnerability without boundaries leads to disconnection distrust and disengagement 
So as we give gratitude to Langston for being with us yet again for another week, uh, thank you, Langston. Gratitude, you. To our, gratitude to our ancestors and the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Um, I ask us all to question, um, what do we need to do in this week to become a person worthy of hearing the weight of another person's story? Thank you, everyone.